Hi, my name is Ivana Danielle. I am the founder and director of Ivana Danielle Body ID in London. I am a movement and posture expert. Welcome to my podcast, a manual for a contemporary body. In my show, I wish to share with you my personal journey and my expertise on how to achieve a healthy, ageless and confident body. My incredible guests, experts in the fields of medical, wellness, healthcare and lifestyle will share precious information that will impact in a positive way the relationship you have with your own body. Today, we will talk about posture and the importance of maintaining good posture. Postural alignment is the key for a strong, healthy and fully efficient body. In order to maintain a healthy body, we should encourage it to move the way it was designed to move. We should keep our bodies in healthy postural alignment so it can operate at optimum efficiency. But unfortunately, we do not always do it. Our lifestyles with the long hours sitting at the desk or sitting in a car and the lack of exercise are factors that conspire to bend our body out of alignment. And for those who lead an active life, not all types of activities promote proper alignment. Finally, not all physical activities are suitable for all people. Good posture is the result of an efficient body, a body capable of maintaining healthy alignment and good core strength. So Jonathan and Michael, Welcome to my show and thank you for taking the time to share your expertise with our audience today. So please, I would like you both to introduce. So let me just say a few words um, before. Mr. Jonathan Daniels and Mr. Uh, Michael Pye, both from London, are both osteopaths, graduated from the European School of Osteopathy with over 20 years of experience. I have been collaborating with Jonathan Daniels for nearly 10 years, uh, Jonathan, since I moved back uh, from Singapore to London in 2011. Yes, we do share the same family name, but we are not related. We're just friends and colleagues. Um, we just shared this S of separation in our surnames. So thank you, Michael, uh, who has just joined last minute and the more the merrier to our podcast today. So I let you both introduce yourself first and tell a bit about your story and the philosophy behind your work. Okay, shall I go first then? Yes, Jonathan, go. You can go first. I will go first. So um, I'm Jonathan Daniels and I'm a registered osteopath. I graduated in 1994 from the European School of Osteopathy and immediately started uh, two practices, one in London, um, where I met you, of course, Ivana, and one in Kent, Shellsville in Kent. And still to this day, I, I'm in those private practices. But I've also taught a lot. And I initially taught at the European School of Osteopathy, teaching clinical neurology back, back then, believe it or not, structural, structural articulation and patient handling. And uh, when I left the European School of Osteopathy, 
I joined a, a, another osteopathic higher education um, teaching faculty. Uh, Michael belongs to that too. And uh, that takes us all over the world. Um, and at the moment, we're doing uh, quite a bit of work in Japan. So we're, we're, we're teachers as well as, as practicing osteopaths. That is very interesting. Can you tell us more about how do you go to Japan, you teach online? What, what is the story so, with Japan? So, so we actually go to Japan. We go to Kobe in Japan, where the, the school uh, is based. It's, it's called the, the JTOC School. Uh, Japanese traditional osteopathic college college and it's um it, it's, it's very interesting because osteopathy there is in its infancy and uh, and it's so it's like going back in time for, for both of us I guess when we, when we teach there because there isn't the awareness uh, of osteopathy there that there is here in the UK so um, they're very keen they're, they're often doctors um, or they're physiotherapists well, there are actually some something called bone setters, which is not the same as, as what we had here in England years ago. Uh, bone setting there is more to do with um, the martial arts side, um, sumo wrestling, that kind of thing. They, they, they look after those guys. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very interesting. And what about you, Michael? What, what is your story? Tell us a bit about you. Okay. Well, Jonathan and I knew each other at college. Uh, Jonathan was a year ahead of me, so I graduated in 1995. Um, and I've worked a bit in London. I don't currently. I have a practice in Hawkehurst in Kent, which is where I primarily work. And uh, I'm a, currently a teacher at the European School of Osteopathy. And I'm the clinical lead for the Women's Health Clinic there, which is the first clinic of its kind being run at an undergraduate uh, institution anywhere in Europe. Um, so uh, that's a very exciting development, uh, which we've uh, opened in the last three years. And uh, I've worked with uh, the Molinari Institute of Health, which is really where I work with a chap called Professor Molinari, and he's pioneered the work in women's health and osteopathy. And so uh, that's sort of women's health is a big area of interest for me. And obviously posture plays a huge role in that in terms of recovery after birth and good pelvic health, good pelvic floor health, all of that kind of thing. So I'm very interested in the manipulation side of osteopathy, but particularly the visceral manipulation, because that people are often surprised. They think, well, you would only use those techniques for digestive issues, but actually they the organs move around they have a mechanical effect and so when they are in dysfunction they can have a mechanical effect on the low back and the mechanical effect on posture they can affect muscle uh, activation so when we ask people to stand properly sometimes they can't because they can't activate their muscles properly and sometimes that can be due to uh, internal issues on the organs and these are reflex based and so very very simple gentle manipulations of the organs can have a profound effect on reflex activity in these muscles and alter posture in very unexpected ways sometimes so that's a real area of interest to me uh, so we complement each other Jonathan and I uh, have shared patients over the years where he's dealt with one aspect and then I've been able to deal with other aspects of that um, and so I also teach you know we teach at JTOC and I've taught in Russia in Spain in uh, France uh, uh, Poland and, you know all over it's very interesting because osteopathy is so well regulated in the UK it's been a model for other countries throughout Europe and out throughout the rest of the world because we've really got good regulation here and osteopaths are well respected and well thought of and there are very high standards of um, 
uh, ethical standards in terms of the way we work with our patients. And so people can always be um, uh, sure that they are going to get good professional help when they approach an osteopath because these people will be highly trained, highly skilled in diagnosis and will be able to work appropriately with their GPs and other medical professionals. Yes, definitely. I mean, we are very lucky in the UK to have such amazing school of osteopathy. Oh, wow. What a team I have today. And so international. And you mentioned women's health, Michael, which is one of my passions and speciality. In fact, I am going to ask you a few questions, um, particularly to that. Um, so the first question that I would like just to ask um, to you both, um, osteopath, is what is um, the definition of good posture from an osteopathic point of view? So how is your interpretation of that? Well, for me, it, it relates uh, to the spinal curves. So, so starting with the neck, uh, which we call the lordosis, the hollow, and then the thoracic curve, which we call the kyphosis, and then going back into the lordosis again for the lower back or the lumbar spine. If I think that, that those three curves are well balanced between a, an, an anterior and posterior line, then for me, that's good posture. So I'm always, as an osteopath, assessing I didn't that. the spinal curves and uh, seeing whether they're too straight, whether they're too curved, whether they might actually have a, a lateral curve to them as well, something that we, we call a scoliosis. Um, and everyone is a variant upon that. And, and they can either be wildly out or they can be absolutely spot on. But even if they're spot on, that doesn't mean necessarily that they've got good back health. But that's where I start. I start by looking at, um, at the curves. And for me, I'm yes. sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was just asking, what about you, Michael? Yeah, sorry. Um, I think uh, for me, I uh, perhaps take a more pragmatic view. I, I think that... Um, uh, we operate in a world where we all sit and we spend a lot of time sitting and as a result our hips get very tight, our upper backs and neck get very tight and we adopt these habitual postures which um, are very often difficult to, to, to change um, and takes real work on the part of the patients um, to be able to make significant change. So as an osteopath I guess I approach good posture as something where people are able to move efficiently that their joints can move efficiently, even if they don't have this lovely, perfect posture, if things move and it's comfortable and it allows them to do what they want to do, um, then, then that is a, a good thing. So some people want to be able to run a marathon and uh, they can do that very well. Many, many people don't want to do that. They simply want to be able to take a walk and go and play in the park with their children and do that in a pain-free way. And so each of those have slightly different needs and different emphasis and uh, a different amount of work that you have to do with them. So you sort of tailor the approach according to what the patient's desires and goals are for me. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more of both um, the approaches you have. And why I called my show a manual um, for a contemporary body is because I think a contemporary body has got the challenges of uh, with technology of uh, having a sedentary lifestyle. We spend so much time sitting in front of a desk and a computer and uh, that we have lost that organic movement that we kept for 
thousands of years. And so we lost that capacity to being connected with the body and, and that body in organic movement. I call organic movement because I, I, I always tell people finding, going to the gym, going running is not always, I say not always the, the right um, answer. And what I've seen in, in my clinic as well is an increase of people with aches and pains, and a very big increase of um, back pain and neck pain. So what, what would you, again, from a, your perspective, what would it be today in this contemporary lifestyle, the main causes? Um, we are not first talking about um, pathologists. Maybe later we can talk what does a scoliosis or a spine pathology create, but what would it be in lifestyle, um, the main um, causes for back pain, Jonathan? But, well, I, well, I think, you know, we, 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 we've touched on it. Uh, we call it postural myalgia, and there's been an awful lot of that, especially with the lockdown that we've just had. Um, people sitting at home, uh, working at home, not necessarily the right chairs, the, you know, the right desks. They're having to sort of um, do makeshift. And, and that's only making their postures worse. So I'm seeing a lot more of aggravated neck ache, shoulder girdle ache, and lower back ache too. Um, that's what people are coming in with. And they're not getting enough of, um, of dynamic movement, I find. I don't know whether you find this, Michael, but if, if a spine is kept moving, the chances are that it isn't gonna produce too much of a problem for the, for, for the patient. Um, but there are certain things that can aggravate that, such as walking in art garage, which I know people aren't doing so much now, but, but they were before lockdown. And it's that kind of stop-start movement um, that can really create uh, lower back pain for somebody. Um, but if the same person was to go on a, a dynamic movement walk, for example, they're not likely to have back pain because of the movement from each leg is transferred very quickly and, and it, it isn't um, a static um, weight bearing that you might get in say a museum art gallery so i see i see that a lot in practice it, it always relates to what the patient does for a living what they do in their spare time and, and the sports that they do i often find that people do things that, that not, are not suited to their body. So you always get somebody who's got dropped arches, who, who loves to do impact sport. And of course it's impacting then on the knees and the hips and the lower back, um, rather than something that they would be more um, in tune with, that, something that may be more aerobic, like a, a rowing machine exercise. So I, I often find that people have, have, have got it slightly wrong, the exercises that they do, to match with their body and so gently I have to tell them you know maybe impact isn't a good idea we should do something that's more based upon stretching. Mm -hmm. Michael what is your point of view on that? Well certainly at the moment um, just as we're doing a zoom call now uh, I'm seeing people a lot because my practice is in the countryside people are not commuting up to London anymore so I'm seeing patients who I normally see their wives or their partners and it could be men and women who are commuting up to London and their partners I would often see and now I'm seeing them because they're at home more um, but they're sitting on zoom calls all day you know they're having meetings uh, or, um, and so 
almost without exception, I'm seeing uh, tension between the shoulder blades in everybody, whether that's what they're coming in with or not. Um, they might be presenting with neck pain or low back pain, but almost always they, they've got this sort of um, area of tension between their shoulder blades because they're spending so much time working from home, sitting in front of screens. And I think because it's an uncertain time, we don't know when COVID's going to end. We don't know when life's going to get back to normal. And people are finding that level of um, anxiety and uncertainty um, stressful. And so there's an emotional element to their um, presentation as well as a, a clear postural one, because I think emotion plays a big role in how people's posture develops. And if they're stressed, they tend to lock themselves into a particular way. So, and then as Jonathan was saying, they're working as we are now, we're sitting at a kitchen table, um, you know, rather than a nice ergonomic chair and desk and so on. So uh, uh, if you're doing this for many hours, you're going to end up feeling a little stiff and sore. So for me, that's what I'm seeing a lot of at the moment. I couldn't agree more. I see the same in my clinic in London. And what I noticed is um, people losing a lot of um, muscle. And that is because of the sedentary in lifestyle during COVID. And we all know that without the muscle support and muscle tone, our posture is, is not going to be supported that well. So a lot of people, what they do, they want to run, especially now, and do um, an exercise program. But uh, Jonathan and I are, are talk about that so much, and you just mentioned it, uh, Jonathan, that not always what we choose could be suited for us. Maybe a mm -hmm. running program could be not suited for someone. So what I see from my side is people getting injured um, sometimes um, more from the exercise program rather than from a chronic back problem. So what is your view in that and, and what is your advice? Uh, I, th I think there are many sports where, where that is true. And uh, I think where, where we can, we try to guide our patients to... Um, to exercise that's, that's going to be safe for them and promote good back health. Uh, there's, there's several examples. I mean, I, I think as we were talking about postural myalgia, one of the things that, that happens a lot is the glute mechanism. And I know you find this, Ivan, as well, fails to switch on when they, when they stand up. And, and of course, if that person thinks, right, okay, I'm going to go for a run now, they're actually going for a run with, with and, and I'm really asking for trouble because if that glute mechanism doesn't switch on properly when they're running, then, then there's no protection for their pelvic girdle and then a problem could easily come from that. So really finding at the moment that, that, that people's muscle weakness uh, that has, has really hit the glutes and whereas they were strong pre lockdown they are now so weak that if you did say the Trendelenburg test um, asking them to, to stand on one leg basically their pelvis would drop because their glutes are so weak so I'm educating people about that I'm um, educating people um, about all types of exercise whether it be tennis badminton recently um, yoga uh, there, I think all of these sports are fantastic, but people tend to do the things that they like to do, but don't often do them well. And um, people tend to do their favourite things in the gym, 
and wonder why they get neck prop pain. And then in closer inspection, it's because they're pulling weights down, doing, doing um, shoulder presses too much. It, it, they're doing one exercise for too long. And, uh, and we, we have to sort of identify that and stop them from doing it and maybe replace it with something else to balance up their program. Michael, what is your point of view on that? Yes, I, it's, it's always difficult um, because exercise is so important uh, that I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm always loath to stop people from doing something because particularly it's, it's psychologically it's so important for them. And I see uh, where I am, I see a lot of horse riders. I see a lot of, um, uh, I, I see a few um, very keen athletes and they're really the amateur athletes, they're keen to keep doing their sports and uh, they, they really see themselves as failures if they're not able to do what they want. So really have to try and help them see that it's not failing if they're doing an alternative activity. So that's often a really big thing is it, I think for people is they need to be more flexible about um, what, a, what success looks like. So if they've got a shoulder injury uh, and every time they play tennis, they hurt their shoulder, then they really shouldn't be playing tennis for a while and they need to be doing rehab on the shoulder and, and, and you know, looking at the balancing factors and all of that. And so, uh, but people can be resistant. That's a really big challenge as a therapist because, you know, you've got someone, I have a chap who loves swimming and he's got a shoulder injury and he really wants to be able to swim front crawl. Frankly, it'd be better for him if he never swam front crawl again because he, he's, just, he's just at an age where it's never going to fully recover. And so we've had to compromise and work out systems and get him working with a personal trainer to bring out better muscle balancing and so on. Um, but it's really hard and it's a real pressure as a therapist because you don't want to tell him not to do this activity that he loves and he's gone to huge expense to build a lovely pool in his house, a 25 meter mm -hmm. two lane pool. <laughs> he hasn't you know, spent just a little bit of money on that. And, and here I am telling him that, well, actually you can't do your favorite stroke. So it's, it's really about negotiating with the patient, trying to help them let go of some of the psychological value they've placed in that activity. And then at the other extreme, you just get people who do nothing and they have very little experience of, of it. And they just think, oh, I'll do couch to 5K. And they do it too quickly. And they think, oh, I'm finding this easy, so I'll do more. And they end up injuring themselves by increasing yeah. their distance too quickly. So you get the inexperienced exercisers who do too much. You get the very experienced ones who are often very skilled at what they do and they've attached huge value to that and they struggle to let go. So they're very, they're managed in very different ways. Yeah, absolutely. I, yep. And I think that the public should be more educated and more informed. That's why I, I want to do this podcast is just to give some uh, intelligent information to the public. It is, and, and it's not don't move, but move uh, in a way that is suited to your, what I call body ID, your body identity. Now you mentioned about women's health and I could do a whole um, episode only on that. Um, and I will probably, Michael, I, I just love talking about that, but we know what amazing postural changes women go in, in during pregnancy and how to recuperate post-pregnancy and also during menopause. And it also, I call it, it, it is all about the pelvis. Um, so in very briefly, because we would need literally a one episode just yeah. about that. Could you tell the audience a bit more about that? So yes, you're, you're right. The two big events that really happen in 
many women's lives not all women have children but all women if they uh, will, will go through menopause at some point but many women will go through pregnancy and uh, they uh, create changes for two reasons number one there's a big change with pregnancy you've got this large uh, baby developing inside the uterus which is the womb grows enormously from a very small the size of about a lemon to you know really very big we can all we've all seen a very pregnant um, mother with a large uterus large tummy so that's huge changes in center of gravity lots of things stretch uh, and uh, in ways that uh, it's never done before um, and that poses challenges and then there's a the delivery itself the mechanism of delivery if you have a, a vaginal delivery uh, that creates certain risk factors and puts strains on things like the bladder and all the internal organs uh, and so some women have gone down the route by choice and sometimes through emergency of cesarean section and that also has its own challenges in how it affects posture later on um, and often women recover quite well. And then when they get to menopause, suddenly all of those problems that they may have had then can come back um, around the time of menopause. And this is because of hormonal changes. And they lose the estrogen in their bodies and a lot of the cells, uh, the muscle cells and the connective tissue in the pelvic floor and around the bladder uh, are all very sensitive to hormones. And so if you suddenly cut off estrogen, all these very pliable, very flexible, stretchy tissues suddenly become drier, less hydrated and less healthy. And so they lose their capacity to support. And so women get bladder problems, they'll get prolapse problems, which can give a lot of discomfort. It can impact on um, sexual activity. And, you know, since the days that now we, we live in a time where um, uh, Viagra is available so people are wanting to be sexually active for much longer than they would have been in the past um, generally and so you know uh, uh, the, the, the challenges of the changes to the pelvis um, of menopause um, become much more uh, of an issue uh, for, for women in relationships um, and so yeah there's a lot that can be done uh, uh, by uh, someone such as yourself and I have an, uh, we have approaches of support as well with what we do um, so it, it, there's a lot that can be done um, but it's a very poorly served area and women are not always um, served very well I feel very passionately about this that if it was a men's issue um, it would get more attention and somehow women get neglected and I feel very strongly about that and women don't have anywhere where they can really talk about these issues so yes you're right we could talk about it for a long time but I need to stop now so. <laughs> me too and in fact for my audience there is a very interesting episode I've done last week call um, it's all about um, uh, it's about menopause and anthropose and I have a gynecologist um, friend of mine who is, to is talking about that and he's talking about hormones and uh, we're, gonna, we're going really deep into what you mentioned uh, from a, a hormonal point of view and also what, what I am saying is that finally there is an opening to talk about issues that would not be talked um, even for men, because we, the doctors also talks about the male hormonal imbalance. But I feel very passionate like you to talk about this, um, about menopause. And it is something that it is just a new, new phase of our lives. And as I say in my book is, you know, menopause is just a, a moment to go through. Life can begun again, begin again, a new and exciting cycle at 50 and as our life is extending as our sexual life 
extends, we want to, to live better and better those years ahead, um, our 50s, in this contemporary body, having a healthy body, a great posture, a functional body in all at 360 degrees. And I think you, you all agree with me. Um, now, I know that it's very difficult to say we wish to give our audience three main pieces of advice. I know three is very little, but if someone listens to us uh, and says, okay, step one, two, and three, Jonathan and Michael, what would be your one, two, three advice, step one, two, and three to give out to our audience? Well, I, I think we haven't touched on sleep. I think, I think sleep is very important. Oh, yes, yes tissue health and I think I think that I always ask how someone's sleeping no matter whatever the problem is and um, because I've, I believe if you don't get enough enough rest enough good sleep then, then the tissues are not uh, regenerating and, and and that's 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 essential for tissue health so I always I always uh, look into to rest and sleep obviously exercise as well is, is key but not to do too much of it and um, and also to, 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 I tell people to do things in moderation, you know, to, to eat in moderation, to have a drink in moderation. I, I don't tell people to, to stop drinking. I just help them to balance their lives um, in, a, in a healthy, balanced way where, where they're not too much in one of those areas. Michael, what are your three main pieces of advice? That's a, that's a really tough question, but uh, we talked about it earlier. And I think for me, number one is I try and get all of my patients to go for a walk every day for 20 to 30 minutes a day. Just start with that. If they're incredibly inactive, everyone can manage 20 to 30 minutes a day of just basic walking. It's the most fundamental movement that um, uh, we should do so number one that's what i would say do that and try and try and you know do that every day it's good for mental health it's good for physical health and it's a it's a good place to start and doesn't stress the body too much uh, for, in most cases there are a few exceptions but most people can manage that quite well number two is uh, i say to my patients to set a timer on their device if they're working on a screen so that uh, they don't sit for more than um well, ideally, I'd like people to get up every 20 minutes, but let's say 40 minutes. So they're never sitting in one position for more than 40 minutes at a time. So they get up and make a cup of tea or just uh, walk around, go and get something from the printer, but just get up and move so they're not in a fixed position. So um, that would be uh, uh, tip number two. And number three, I would say is hydrate adequately with water preferably and try and drink regularly through the day have a, a, a something uh, you know a glass of water at your desk or where you're working so that you keep yourself hydrated all the way through the day so those are my three tips well that's great i'm so pleased i'm doing all six of them guys <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am fine i comply to all of that well, we could go on and on um, with so many interesting questions, but I hope that you will accept to be my guest back again to talk more and about more interesting stuff. Um, <laughs> what I'd like to know is um, about your practice, any particular projects, are you going back to Japan? But I know with the COVID is a bit difficult. So tell us a bit more about your projects in the near future? So, um, 
we, we, we plan to go back to Japan in, in uh, the April of, of next year, so 2021. So, so the, the course is, 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 has been put on hold. So um, hope, hopefully if um, COVID um, uh, is lifted, the restrictions are lifted, then we can, uh, we can, we can go to Japan in April. So, so I think I'm going to be doing uh, a little bit more teaching next year because all the all my teaching projects were put on hold. You know, teaching projects that I had for France and um, other countries as well as Japan. And um, I'm still building up um, the London practice to incorporate more um, osteopathy and. Um, but, but also to, to, to get a good team of practitioners um, behind us and, uh, and develop a clinic that's quite unique. Great. What about you, Michael? Yes, I, I think much as John, many, many of our teaching things have been on hold and we've done a bit over Zoom and so on and, uh, and Teams, but uh, really for something like osteopathy, you've got to be there and you'll see it. So it's so practical, many of the skills that we're teaching. So, uh, you know, there's a busy year next year, um, but obviously that's all the proviso that we can travel again. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to try and put in a research uh, template with the um, European School of Osteopathy uh, Women's Health Clinic there. I'm really trying to build a framework that we can um, start to produce some reasonable data from that because at the moment everything we've got is based on ideas but there's no proof that what we do works. Obviously our patients come back and tell us they're feeling better and so on and there's improvement but that's anecdotal. We'd really like to try and develop uh, something more um, solid than that. So that, that would be a nice goal over the next two to three years and to develop I, one of the things I've been hoping to do in um, my Hawkehurst clinic is uh, a lot of my students who undergraduate students are wanting to do more of the women's health work. And um, we've been looking to perhaps run a, uh, a women's health uh, sort of consultancy once a month uh, where osteopaths who are interested, they bring their patients um, into that clinic and we, we, we do it as a teaching exercise. They come, I will supervise and we look and, and try and, you know, these are patients they're struggling with and, and we can maybe take a collaborative approach. So that's something we're looking to, to try and develop as well in, in the uh, Walkhurst Clinic uh, over the next uh, year or two. So that's an exciting thing. That is all very exciting. Jonathan, how can people get in touch with you? Could you just tell us your website and how can slowly yeah. and spelling it, please? Okay, I think for London appointments, um, people can go to uh, Cavendish Osteopaths. Uh, Cavendish, Cavendish is spelled C-A-V-E-N-D-I-S-H. And uh, in Kent, um, uh, Chelsfield Osteopaths, Chelsfield being spelled C-H-E-L-S-F-I-E-L-D, Chelsfield Osteopaths. Both of those are um, automated um, uh, sites that people can go to and book their own appointments online. Uh, if they preferred to do it old school, then I still do work in a practice that does have a telephone number. Um, <laughs> and a receptionist who answers the phone. And her name is Antigone, and the telephone number is 0207 486 2875. And the address is one old replace. So those are for the, for the people that, that like it old school. Great, thank you. 
And Michael, how can people get in touch with you? So the simplest way is to go to hawkehurstosteopaths.com. So Hawkehurst is really spelled as it sounds, H-A-W-K-H-U-R-S-T, osteopaths.com. And there it's got our telephone number on there. If you want to ring between nine and three each day, there's receptionists there to take call. But you can also um, automatically uh, get through to our diary, our online diary system, and you can book there um, with any of our team. Uh, I will be, you can book specifically with me, but I, we've got uh, three other osteopaths there as well, um, uh, each of whom have expertise in other areas. So that's, that's probably the simplest way um, to reach my, uh, my practice. Gentlemen, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. As I say, I have so many more questions to ask you for, but I hope you will accept my invitation again so we can go more and more in depth to very interesting and um, conversation about the body, about the posture, about pre-postnatal women's health. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Ivana. Thank you. Thank you very much.